Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. There is a, a concept that is kind of thrown out there in the religious world that bothers me a little bit. And it's, it's, this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I'm going to quickly step on a soapbox and then step back off because I think it's something we need to correct. We always talk about how uh, we use phrases like your worst enemy looks at you in the mirror. You know, that idea of you are your own worst enemy, you're your own worst critic, that, that most of our problems come from ourselves. They come from battles that we fight against ourselves. And I'm going to be honest, while that is in some ways true, I think it is in a lot of ways misleading. Because the truth is, if your greatest enemy, if your hardest battle was fixing yourself, we should all be able to do that. We should all be able to accomplish that because I am not stronger than myself. I am myself. I am equally strong to fix myself as I am to break myself. There's really no battle there. There's just a decision that needs to be made. But the truth is, you are not strong enough. And the Bible teaches that quite often, that you are not strong enough but God is. See, the truth is, the battle we fight is not entirely against ourselves, but it's against the enemy. And we don't think in those terms often enough. Just a quick little survey through uh, a few passages here in the New Testament. Jude chapter, or Jude, only one chapter, verse 9 Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Maybe a more well-known one is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting, or verse 8, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Or maybe an even more popular one is over in Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the armor of God and putting on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is real. and The devil is strong. And the devil is intentionally and purposely fighting against you. And I know that from experience, all of us recognize that but we feel it at some times greater than at other times. It seems like the devil brings the whole army against us on some occasions, and then other occasions it's just as simple as making a few different decisions. I want to encourage you that while you might not be strong enough by yourself to fight against the devil, God has given you what is needed to accomplish that task. Probably all of us have certain scenes from different television shows or movies or, or plays or books and things like that that we remember. And one that I remember 
probably more vividly than any other, and I'm not sure how in the world I got away with watching this as a kid, because my parents wouldn't let me watch The Simpsons, but immediately after The Simpsons came on, a show called Twin Peaks came on. We weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons because they were disrespectful, but somehow we got away with watching Twin Peaks. I, I don't know if my brother you know, spun some lies in order to make that happen, but we, we were able to watch Twin Peaks, and I the show was odd. I, I don't know how many of you ever saw the show. It was very uh, just bizarre, very cerebral, very just you had to think a lot while you watched it. So it might make sense why not all of it made sense to me. But there was a scene in one of the episodes near the end of the series. And it's where one of the characters has been acting a bit erratically. And he looks in the bathroom mirror and stand, staring back at him was the face of Bob. That, that I, I remember his name was Bob. He was a crazy looking man who was laughing maniacally at him from the mirror. And it scared the character because he's looking in the mirror and he's not seeing himself. He's seeing Bob. I wish we could do that. I wish we had such presence of mind when it came to the spiritual battles that we fight. That we, when we looked in the mirror, on occasion, instead of seeing ourselves, we saw our real enemy. That, that we're not always in this mindset of fighting against ourselves, but we recognize that the one we're truly fighting against is the devil himself. He is the one we battle. He is the one that we have to fight. He is the one who causes us so much trouble. And if we could learn to fight him and in doing depend on God, we would get somewhere. Truth is, the devil, he's very tricky. I think one of the greatest victories he's ever won is in convincing us that he isn't actually a threat. That, that he's not the one we battle against. That he's not real. Some of us would probably take that position. That the devil's not real. The devil isn't actually something that is out there. It's just something that's been made up over time by people who are looking for something to blame for their problems. They come up with this concept of the devil or an evil one or the adversary and they blame it on this, this red fellow with a tail and pointed ears and a pitchfork. The devil, though, is very capable. You look at the beginning of the book of Job and you have that scene there in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 where the devil has come and is presenting, he's called the adversary there, he has come but in the presence of God and he is presenting himself to God as all the angels do. And God asks, where, where have you been? He says, I've been wandering to and fro on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And you've got this whole uh, contest, this competition between the devil and God himself over the life of Job. The devil says, the only reason Job's faithful is because you built this hedge around him, and God says, well, let's prove it. 
and God allows Job to take his, or the, God allows the devil to take Job's livelihood, his home, his children, everything he holds dear, except his wife and a few friends who come and basically accuse him and, and, and take their time to, to run him even deeper into the mud. And he does it all behind the scenes. Had, had the story of the book of Job started at Job chapter 3, we wouldn't have a clue about the role that the devil played. We would just read that disastrous story about all the bad things happening to Job, and we would think, what, an, what a horrible situation. But I've kind of been there before. I, I've experienced blow after blow after blow after blow, where life just seems to be working against me and nothing seems to be going right. Job doesn't know the devil's there. But the devil is more than capable of stirring up trouble and bringing friends who are going to accuse and allowing everything to work against Job. And what's interesting is you read this over and over again through Scripture where the devil has behind the scene stirred up trouble and made life difficult and caused people to, 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 to experience disaster. The devil, he's experienced at this. Jesus calls him the murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies, and he's been at this task since the very beginning. And we read about him there in Genesis chapter 3, stirring up trouble even before Adam and Eve have left the Garden of Eden. He knows what he's doing. And ultimately what we find is he is stronger than you. He knows more than you do. He is more capable and has more abilities than you do. He has a greater understanding of how life works. He knows what's going to tempt you, and he is going to put it in your path over and over and over again relentlessly without giving up, and he is going to look for opportune times where he can put a stumbling block in your way that you will trip over. He knows how to do it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're told here, starting back in verse 10, anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, I have forgiven anything. It is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his scheme. One of the best ways to strengthen yourself against the attacks of the devils is to know what's happening. It's to know where the attack's coming from. There's a story over in 2 Kings chapter 6 where the Aramean army is trying to attack Israel and every single time they send a plan, they send the army out, Israel's prepared, they're ready, they're, they're, they're armed and they're guarding and they're, they're not able to get any sort of advantage against Israel and the king of the Arameans is so upset by the way Israel always knows what's about to happen that he thinks he has a mole in his own army. And one of the, one of the soldiers says, no, we don't have a mole, they have a prophet. 
And the prophet is telling them what you're going to do. He knows everything we're about to do before we do it. And so the king of the Arameans says, well, then we need to get rid of that prophet. The only way we're going to succeed at defeating the Israelites is if we can do it without them knowing we're coming. So we've got to get rid of the prophet. In that same story, interestingly, we have a glimpse into how the prophet knows. The Aramean army has come against Elisha the prophet and they've surrounded Elisha and they're there ready to attack and to take Elisha captive or kill him. And and the servant walks out and he sees this enemy army out there and he's fretting, he doesn't know what to do. And Elisha prays that God open his eyes to see truth. And what does he see? The mountains around them, the hills around them are covered over in the Lord's army. Flaming chariots and angels. And he's able to see what God sees temporarily for a moment. That's kind of how we need to be. We need to be like Elisha where we can see what the attacks before they're going to happen so that we can be prepared, so that we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We can know when those schemes are going to happen and we can be prepared for those schemes. And the only way to do that is to see as God sees. So let me share with you some of those schemes of the devil because one of the things you'll find about the devil is that he is predictable. We're not going to have time to look at all of these passages of Scripture. I'm putting them up on the screen so you can write them down. If you can read them, they're kind of small. This looked really lovely, by the way, but we've been having computer trouble, and I had to completely redo my sermon back there before I got up here this morning. So it was a lot more readable earlier. But he has the same old predictable tricks he has always had, like he tempts. He tempts. You know, what's interesting is the devil cannot make you sin. He can just help you want to. You ever thought about that? The devil can't actually cause you to do the wrong thing. He's limited. There's only so much he can do. God, just like in the story of Job, only allows him to go so far. But God allows him to tempt you. He's the father of deceit. He can can deceive you like none other. Now, you still have to choose to believe the lie, but he can lie to you. He can make things look good that aren't good. He can make things seem awful that aren't awful. He can fool you like you've never been fooled before. He can condemn you. We're told that the devil is the one who makes accusations or condemnations against God's people. He can condemn you, and I would say that he doesn't just condemn you to God, he also condemns you to you. You ever have those days where you just don't like yourself? You see no value in yourself, you see no no reason why you should get up and contribute anything to the world because the world doesn't care what you have to contribute. It, it, it's just, what's the point? That's the devil. That's the devil. That 100% that's the devil. We're told that he is a, a, a one who confuses us. He can make multiple things seem true. He can make us 
have this idea that, that it's not just God's way that matters, but any of these ways matter. Or he can cause us to get confused about the way life works. Well, you know, I, I can have this, but I can also have this. And I, I know that that runs a risk, but I, I think I can do all of it. He causes us to doubt. He causes us to have, have reasons why we don't believe or, or reasons why we don't believe God's rules or reasons why we don't think God's way is the right way, just like he did with Eve. He causes us to fear. He causes us to get scared. Scared that life isn't going to work. Scared that things aren't going to work out. We might be scared that, that ends aren't going to meet. Or scared that our marriage is going to fall apart. Or scared that the children aren't, aren't going to grow up right. Scared that the job isn't going to work out. Or scared that... That, that people hate me, or he's also the one who brings death. Now, the reason I, I didn't turn you to all of those passages is because I do want to turn you to all of these passages. Because what's interesting when you look through Scripture is that for every trick and scheme that the devil has, God says, he has the answer. Tit for tat, each one for the other, God is able to give us the answer to what the devil is trying to do. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Well-known passage. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man or to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation he will provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. You know, the devil can throw temptation after temptation after temptation at you, but the truth is God promises he has given us the answer to that scheme. He has given us a way of escape. If we want to escape, the escape is there every single time. But you've got to be willing to want it. John chapter 8. Our next passage, John chapter 8. I want to look at verse 32. You know the truth. The truth will set you free. We know over in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, the devil can trick us with lies all he wants, but Jesus is the source of truth. The not lies. Clarity. Jesus gives us not just uh, you know, truth in a general sense of, okay, yeah, we've got truth, we've got the Bible. The reason we have truth is because truth has a purpose. It is designed to confront the deceit of the devil. It is designed to, to battle against one of the schemes of the devil. If you will fill your mind and your heart with truth, then deceit has no way in. Jesus gives us grace to the devil's condemnation. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
has set you free from the law of sin and death. The devil can condemn us all he wants, but the truth is, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation you must worry about. None. Jesus gave us the answer to that. You don't have to worry about what God will think about you as long as you are dwelling with Jesus, walking in the light, in Christ Jesus, condemnation does not exist for you. We're going to talk about that more tonight in our sermon about how to have confidence in your salvation. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 5, that God gives clarity. We know from other passages that God says he is not a God of confusion, that he is a God who gives answers. In James chapter 5, verse 1, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for doubting... For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. If If we're struggling with doubt, if we're struggling with being tossed back and forth, if we're struggling between two opinions, if we're struggling between what is true and what is false, the way to get answers to that is to turn to God. Because God gives clarity. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith, the answer to doubt. Faith is the, really, we we use that word in such a, a, a churchy way, it's really the concept of trust. Trust is the opposite of doubt. If we will just learn to turn to God and trust him, trust what he says, trust his way is true, trust that he has our best interest in mind, trust that because he has our best interest in mind, if we do what he says, we will be led the right direction because he wants good things for us. That kind of trust eliminates doubt. I've talked about this before, but it's the same concept we raise children with, right? We want our children to trust us. Well, the way to show that is to be reliable, be trustworthy. I have learned about my children two things. If I do what I say I'm going to do, they believe I'm going to do it next time I say I'm going to do it. And if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, then the next time I say it, they go, really? God always does what he says he's going to do. Always. And so when you come to know God and how trustworthy he is, how faithful he is, that he doesn't fudge and he doesn't back off and he doesn't say one thing and go and do another thing, when God promises it is true, then we can trust that. We have no reason for doubt. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is one of my favorite passages, especially in recent months with all the fear that we've lived under. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. God does not desire for us to fear, 
God does not desire for us to worry. God does not desire for us to, to sit down and, and, and wonder about what the outcome of things will be. He wants us to walk with courage. You know, the devil, he wants us to be scared into what we often get scared into. We always talk about the, the, the response of fear is flight or fight, right? I'm rhyming too much. This is getting annoying. All right, we, we flight or fight. We, we, either, we either put our hands up and get ready to battle and hit back or, or we run away. That's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to either fight or he wants us to run. God wants us to stand firm. And he has given us all the truth and all the power and all the love and all the sound judgment we need to do that. He's given us what we need in order to stand courageously for him if we'll just hold on to him another thing I've learned from my children over the years is that there's a lot of things they're scared to do unless dad is with them unless dad is willing to to walk with them I, I remember uh, several years ago I think it was Janie we were at a pool and I still have a a chip in my elbow my right elbow because we were in a pool and she did not want to jump into the pool until she learned that dad would catch her. As long as dad would catch her, she would jump in the pool, which was fine until she decided she was going to try to run and make me chase after her to catch her. So she would run down the side of the pool and jump in over here. I almost fell off. And, and, and jump off over here. And I would have to like race through the water, which is a lot harder than running on the edge of the pool, and catch her. And one time she ran down to the other corner and jumped right over the stairway that went up and my elbow came down on those stairs trying to catch her. Now I called her and so we had to continue playing the game. But we, uh, it, 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 as long as I would catch her, she was courageous. God catches. He catches every time. God's with us every time single time and the devil wants you to believe that's not true the devil wants you to be fearful the devil wants you to think that God will fail you in some way but God never has failed his people now that does not mean we don't face hardship that does not mean that we don't have difficulties of life that doesn't mean that sometimes our marriages don't struggle and even break apart that doesn't mean that children are always going to make the right decision it doesn't mean that jobs will always work out it doesn't mean that you'll have every blessing that we could experience on this earth this earth is full of, of things that we wouldn't call blessings that doesn't change the fact that even when we're facing hardship, God can be there with you. And he can hold you and strengthen you, and you can learn to trust him even more. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right there at the end of the chapter, you've got that, that great statement Paul makes about death, that death has lost its power. Starting in verse 55, it says here, O death, where is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The devil wants us to be scared of death because either it, it is the, the moment of unknown, and so we fear it, or it is the moment where we cease to exist. It's what the devil wants us to believe. If you don't know what's on the other side of death, or you think that that's just it, that's the end, there's nothing after that, then death is not a pleasant idea. But if death is merely walking through the gate from something that we have now to something incredibly better, you don't fear that. You don't fear walking through a door when you know what's on the other side of the door. And and that's what God has given us. We no longer need to fear death because we are redeemed from sin, so we don't got to worry about bad things on the other side of the door, and because we know God is on the other side of the door, and that makes it exciting. I want you to see, God gives us the answer every one of the devil's schemes. God left no worry for us if we'll just turn to him. So let's talk about how to withstand. Several of you just looked at that screen and went, what in the world? That, you all know what it is, right? It's zebras, right? We, we know zebras. There's been a lot of study over the years as to what why the zebras, from the scientist's perspective, evolved the way they did, from our perspective, were created the way they were. But why do zebras have this very unique striped pattern? Because from, from our viewpoint, we look at them, if you're ever looking at a picture of zebras, do you have a hard time finding them? I mean, no, they, they stand out like, I mean, they're very clearly there. You know exactly where the zebras are in the picture. They're not colored like the place around them. Uh, Where they live, it's brown, it's dry. Even if it weren't, if it were green and lush, white and black stripes are going to stand out. So why do they look that way? Well, it's not about speed. It's not about strength. We we know that actually lions are faster than zebras, which are their main predators. And and lions are much stronger than zebras. But the best scientists can come up with is that the stripes are confusing. It's not that the lion can't see a zebra. The lion can see it perfectly fine, but whenever they stand in a group, Because a lion, the way they hunt is they pick off the trailer. They pick off the last one. They pick off something that is off by itself. They're not going to attack something that is bigger than them. And when zebras stand in a clump, the lion can't distinguish one zebra from the other. It all just looks like one massive piece of black and white. And so a lion won't attack a zebra when a zebra is in a group. Now, it will chase the zebra group off 
and then attack the one that gets sidetracked and runs off on its own, that's the one the lion will go after because it can see it clearly. It's like us. Turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. In the context here, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. What, what are we told to take strength from in this passage? Partly it's stand firm, which I think goes along with what we've already talked about, the idea of trusting in God. God has given you the answer. But part of it is recognizing we have a combined experience as God's people. We have, as God's people, the ability to stand together. We have, as God's people, an ability to trust that, yes, God's watching over us, and, and we have help, Part of our help isn't just from God, but it's from each other. What I keep coming back to when I, when I think about the concept that you are not strong enough, the truth is alone you will fail. If God intended us to be righteous alone, he would not have created this. He would have not have made this, not even a benefit, but a requirement. God knows that if we go alone, we will be picked off by the devil every single time. But with others, we stand a chance. This is the thing that I think has worried so many people post-pandemic if we can call it that yet. Is that there are so many people who have, for whatever reason, decided, you know what, I'm doing pretty good by myself. I'm going to go it alone. And that's dangerous. That, that's putting yourself at unnecessary risk. The devil will just pick you off when he's ready. Because you are not strong enough alone. But with others, you stand a chance. And let me go a step further and say, with God, you'll triumph. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Just a few more passages this morning. John chapter 10 and verse 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Here, in the context of facing danger, turn to God. Turn to Jesus. Jesus will take care of you. Jesus intend not for you to be picked off, but for you to have abundant life. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, Jesus says in John 16, 33, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have overcome the world. 
Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The very end of his letter here to, to the Christians in Rome, he says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, I want to make sure you heard those words. It did not say the God of peace has crushed the devil under his feet. That's what we often hear taught. And, and there's some truth to that. Yes, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus established the new covenant, when Jesus was able to, to put sins to the cross, he, he in a lot of ways defeated the devil. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not referring to that event. And notice, it doesn't say the God of peace will soon crush Satan. It doesn't end there. It's not even talking about, yes, there's coming a day in which God, by his power and his might and his plan, that he will put the devil in his place, that he will destroy the devil, and the devil no, will no longer be a threat. That is true. There is a future event coming where God will deal with all of those things. But hear the whole thing. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We are part of that. If we will, as God's people, stand together, arm in arm, shield next to shield, sword in hand, ready to battle day in and day out, God will use us to crush Satan. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that we get to be a part of that, that we get to play a role in God's condemnation of the devil, that we get to be part of what God uses to show his power and his victory? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. The devil has been, will be dealt with. I say all that so that you will recognize by yourself, you're not strong enough, but God is. God can do amazing things if you'll just, just take your strength from him. Take your power from him. Let him be the one to take you day by day, question by question, decision after decision, temptation after temptation, and strengthen you and encourage you in a way that allows you to be strong before the devil. That begins with becoming a child of God. We always talk about being baptized into Christ in, the, in terms of having your sins washed away. Again, true. And we talk about it in the sense of joining God's family because it, it's the way in which God adopts us by the Spirit into his family. True. I want to think of it in this terms today. It's you signing your enlistment papers. It's you sitting in the recruit, recruiter's office when there's a battle going on 
and it is you saying, I want to be a part of this battle. I, I want to fight on the winning side of this battle. I want to join this army and let God be the one in control of my life. That's what you're doing when you're baptized into Christ. I tell you, in this battle, we cannot lose because the devil has already been defeated and God will soon crush him under our feet as we fight for him. I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, sign those papers today by being baptized into Christ and letting him be in control. If you need the invitation to get your life right, come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.